0: So I'm sure you've already heard about this. I think it's actually been—it's been in the news um, the past couple of weeks. Uh, everything's falling apart. Did you? Have you seen that? <laughs> the country is more divided every day. Even in our flawless two-party system, we have people spewing hatred between various political candidates and leaders within those parties. The denomination that we're a part of, the United Methodist Church, is deep into conversations about a split. In fact, the AJC just published another article about that this week. Even in the UK, which is where I was last week, they are settling into a new reality, a new version of life after having left the European Union. And boy, we had two different guides while I was in England. And boy, do they hate Meghan Markle. Oh, my gosh. Man, the royal family split up too. That's a whole other thing. It's pretty fun. And to top it all, all of that, The coronavirus has sent the globe into a panic uh, and made all of our friendly epidemiologists who've been warning us about something like this for years have to swallow their I told you so's as we struggle to hear any real and accurate reports about its spread and its effect on people's lives. It's a lot. It's a lot to worry about on a global scale and Honestly, it can be just as stressful and just as worrying to go through our day-to-day lives. We worry about our job performance. We worry about getting sick or if a family member gets sick. We worry about retirement. We worry about purpose and fulfillment. We worry about finding a balance between life and work and family. We worry about how we'll be perceived by the people around us and it's just a lot. There's so much to worry about. So this whole passage that Ken read about worrying less feels like a really aspirational challenge. I really don't know many people who are able to just stop worrying, but there it is, plain and simple. Jesus looks out at a crowd of people who likely were worried just as much as we are today and says, do not worry. Don't worry about your life. For some of us, that 's all we worry about. we worry about the next meal we 'll eat. We worry about the commute to work. We worry about what people think about us. We worry about our own health. We worry about how we 'll be remembered when we 're gone. We worry about what clothes we should wear in the morning. We worry about our bank account and ready whether or not we 'll be able to retire. We worry about all sorts of things, all of The time and Jesus says, plain and simply, don't worry about your life, about what you'll wear or what you'll drink or about your body and what you'll wear. It's like Jesus can hear our thoughts as we have them. And in that way, it doesn't seem like our internal lives are all that different than the lives of people living in the first century. Our culture seems to magnify those impulses to worry and fret about every aspect of our lives. But then Christ asks us, who can add a single moment to their lives by worrying? And the obvious answer to Jesus' rhetorical question is no one. No one can add a moment to their life by worrying. That isn't to say that the Boy Scout motto, to always be prepared, is wrong. It's a good motto. Diligence is a good thing. A little worry helps us to be prepared for any difficult scenarios we might find ourselves in. I don't think Jesus is disagreeing with the Boy Scouts. He should definitely be prepared. But that's not the point. I think Jesus' question is about our obsessive worrying and preoccupation with any potential threat, so much so they grow so large that we're unable to find joy in our lives anymore. The people I've known who've been able to let go of their worries and their fears about life, they always seem happier, obviously, They seem healthier, they're more grounded, and they are always easier to be around. When I was in England um, with a group of folks touring the historic roots of Methodism, I heard about a couple of our church members, you may know them, some of you may know them, Clyde and Renee Smith, who are on a cruise in Vietnam with their grandkids who are in their 20s. While they were on the cruise with their grandchildren, they were quarantined together after a fellow passenger got sick and was diagnosed with the coronavirus. So the ship was quarantined. And then they started testing all of the passengers. And Clyde and Renee tested positive for the coronavirus. Now, I would have panicked (laughs) i can't even imagine what words would have come out of my mouth they would not have sounded christian i can promise that in fact when i did receive texts and emails from some of y'all in the church about them letting me know that they were being moved to a hospital in tokyo to be under observation i was terrified I was so worried for them and I was so worried for their grandchildren that I immediately started playing in my head all of the worst case scenarios and worrying about how we as a church might respond if any of those worst case scenarios came to fruition. And then I started reading the articles that had been written about them. They got a little famous, actually. They were interviewed in the hospital as two Americans testing positive for the coronavirus in Tokyo, Japan. And rather than worry or fear, Clyde and Renee expressed joy. Joy and gratitude and love and faith. The only concern that they lifted in any of their interviews was concern for their grandchildren who were stuck on the boat. They celebrated how kind the hospital staff have been. They've talked about their incredible view out of the hospital window of Mount Fuji. They shared pictures of their trip, and they shared pictures of their vow renewal on the deck of the ship uh, on this cruise they were on. And what may be even more amazing, when the interviewer asked if they were worried about developing symptoms, and even if they were worried about death, they said, and this is a quote from Clyde's mouth, We've had a good life. If things don't work to our advantage on this one, so we feel good about life in general. And then Renee followed up later, describing this whole experience as a little bump in the road. I mean, that is truly amazing. I'm sure they were worried, right? I mean, everybody would get those butterflies in the stomach hearing something like that. But it isn't their preoccupation. And it certainly doesn't seem to be distracting them from enjoying life. I really think that may be the lesson for us. Clyde and Renee seem to be able to see a reality of their situation without allowing it to occupy too much space in their minds and their hearts. They've allowed gratitude and joy with each moment to be the focus of their thoughts, even in a worst-case scenario. It's That's the faithful way to look at life, and it makes Jesus' point all the more clear for us. Our collective and societal attention is just in the wrong place. We're preoccupied and worried about things in our lives that don't lead to full and abundant life and often are things that we don't have any control over anyway. Jesus' challenge for us not to worry is a huge challenge challenge, but it comes after a really powerful truth claim. Just before Jesus tells us not to worry about our lives at all, he tells us it's impossible to serve two masters. Therefore, don't worry about your life. You see what he's doing there? You can't serve two masters You cannot be faithful to the hopeful news of resurrection, new life, and the unveiling of God's kingdom if you're preoccupied with worry about how your life might come to an end. You can't serve two masters. You can't join in God's work of servanthood if you're preoccupied with worry about how people might perceive you. You can't serve two masters. You can't join in building the kingdom of God that's abundant for all people to thrive if you're preoccupied and worried about your own wealth and security. Something has to give. And so we really are just left with a choice. Where is our faith? Who is our guide? Is God in charge Or am I? Is our faith in God or is our faith in our own diligence? Is our faith in God or is our faith in our own capacity to control the world around us? For me, I have found that I have Very little, very little control over the circumstances of my life. I can't fix the country. I can't fix the denomination. I can't stop the coronavirus. I can't control the economy. I can't control the job market. I can't control fertility or relationships. I can worry about all that. I do. But it certainly doesn't help. The only thing I have found that helps is offering those worries and those concerns to God. I let them come into my head, and then I let them flow to God. They can't control me. They're not the master of my life. And because of that, I'm learning to trust God more and more each day. And now, faith and trust in God's abundance and Christ's intimacy and the Spirit's power to shift the world under our feet is becoming the priority of my life and the preoccupation of my heart and mind. And one day, I'm not there yet, but one day I hope to have the kind of peace that Clyde and Renee both seem to have where they can find gratitude and joy in the confines of a shared hospital room under quarantine with the scariest epidemic in recent history. May we all find that sense of peace through Christ. Amen.